You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bring it in. It's time for another episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard. Joining me today is a college buddy who I've grown to have a uh, a more more of a friendship with in the last year or two, I would say. Um, that's my buddy Marlon Williams. So I met Marlon when he was playing football for Nichols. Uh, for those who don't know, I, uh, I I used to film for the current football team. So Marlon and I's relationship in college was pretty much, hey, what's up, dude? Fist bump, move the fuck along. <laughs> but, you know, I've sort of developed a friendship with him over the over the last year or two. Um, so I brought him on. We're going to talk about his business, Chicken's Kitchen, and then another big topic we're going to touch on. And this is something that's super important right now. Um, I've talked about this in some of the posts, but... That, of course, is the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, you know, so Marlon and I are going to discuss some of our different experiences with interactions with police, things like that. And these are the conversations. The main premise of this episode is to basically put it all out there. You know, have these conversations with your friends that are, no pun intended, running a different race than you are, essentially. So yes, without sir. further ado, it's my buddy Marlon. Marlon, wow. thank you for coming on, man. Man, what's going on, Mike? How you doing, buddy? Oh, you know, same old shit, different day, the usual. Third day. But uh, before, uh, like I said, to get started here, let's let's talk a little bit about the business you got going on, Chicken's Kitchen. So it's a catering company. When when did it start, and how did it come to be? Um, yeah, Chicken's Kitchen Catering LLC, man. We entered our sixth year this coming this coming month. Uh, July 14th, we'll make our sixth year that uh, I launched off into my entrepreneurship with the, with the, uh, with the cooking. Now, how it all started was uh, honestly by fluke, man. I mean, after after playing ball and that not working out, and I mean, I had tunnel vision most of my, my young adult life. It was, it was football on the bus. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you, when you when you locked into that type of lifestyle, you got you got to be that way. Because if you don't, you're not gonna be focused enough, and you're gonna miss your opportunity. Even if even if you are the most focused motherfucker out there, sometimes it's just not your time. It wasn't your opportunity. You wasn't in the right system, and all that shit. You just you don't make it. But uh, anyway, so throughout college, the one way I learned how to survive was cooking, cooking my own meals. That was a way for me to uh, to skim the budget and live off the refund checks because well, I ain't really had I ain't had no pockets at home to go dig in and uh and make my way through. So what I do is they said max out my loans and whatever I had left over, those refund checks will float me from whatever semester it is, from August to December, from January to May, and that's how I, that's how I survived. Cause you know playing ball, you also couldn't have a job either. So, anyways, moving on from there, I would I would focus my pictures on Instagram and Facebook and all the social medias, you know. And, uh, and the more I posted, the, the the better my skills got at plating and 
and cooking, and, and that's what I lived for. I lived for that moment of glory and showing my food to everyone. So one day, uh, one of one of my best friends, his uh, his girlfriend now, his wife now, uh, she she uh, had a friend who was about to get married, and she was like, uh, "Well, T- this friend named Tino." He was like, uh, Tino's friend Marley can cook. We should try to do a taste testing, um, see how he'll do, and we can move on from there. So we do the taste testing. They loved it. They bugged me. They got a sweet-ass deal, man. <laughs> <laughs> I basically did the shit for nothing, man. I did it for nothing because I, I, didn't, I didn't have a clue. I didn't go to school for cooking. I went to the, the Food Network uh University. That's why. That's why I picked up my skills from Food Network University, and just you know, everybody in my family can burn. So I just observe, observe them, and and that's how I just hold my skills on knowing how to cook. So move on to the wedding now, man. Um, like I say, I'm fucking clueless, man. I never did nothing like this before in my life. So, professionally, at least, I would cook a pan or jambalaya for the family. Or, some double eggs, but it's not, nothing extensive. And, and it, was, it was maybe like uh, six or seven items on the on the menu. It was only for about fifty people. It was a real small wedding. It was uh, quaint. It was uh, at a lake house on Lake Pontchartrain. I was able to spend a night at the lake house and prep my food, get up early in the morning, and prep some more, uh, and um, get ready for the um, get ready for the wedding. Dude, so that's insane. That's insane. I mean, kind of falls in your lap, and it's kind of funny that you joked about, you know, Food Network University, because that was going to be my next question, was was that even your major? So it seems like it just kind of found you, which is great. Um, yeah, found me, man. And, dude, the thing is, for anyone listening, um, chickenskitchencatering.com, check it out. You know, I, I see you posting this food all the time, and I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, bruh. You gotta stop, cause every time you do, my mouth just starts watering. Um, you gotta swing on me, Mike. You gotta swing on me. I just post, <laughs> well, tomorrow I'll be posting the menu for Fourth of July. Um, as you know, uh, we right now on this move where, at least in the black community, we're moving away from Juneteenth, our true Independence Day, our freest moment. You know what I'm saying? Like this. The additional Independence Day don't mean shit to us. For sure. To a certain degree, and people just starting to wake up to it. And I just wanted to finish off on my story on how my business came into fruition. Um, just so anybody listening who got a dream, it just needs some motivation now. Now, the day of the wedding, man, I ain't gonna lie, it was the hardest, most stressful fucking thing I ever did in my life, man. I played in college ball when three days were legal. You know what I'm saying? Like, my lad, my, when I came in as a freshman at Southern University, we would lift weights in the morning, and then we would go practice, and then we would, and then we would go eat lunch again, then we go practice again in the evening, or we do conditioning in the morning, then practice, then practice, and then they got rid of that shit. They got sweet down in college, but anyways, the hardest thing I ever did in my life was that wedding that night. But at the same time, I got so much gratification out of it. The money, even though I said they got a sweet deal now, but even then, for me, then that was good money. It was good money, but more than anything, I just I got extreme gratification, extreme gratification from cooking, man. You see the looks on people's face, 
know, I just went full balls in. Because, I, like I said, I didn't have no direction. I didn't really know what I was going to do at the time. I um, got a bachelor's degree in my pocket. And I'm an assistant manager at Family Dollar, making $10 an hour, bringing home $300 a week. I don't know how the hell I was living off them $300 a week <laughs> <laughs> when we made it happen. And then I went full blown, man. Uh, but I didn't, but I didn't, I didn't start doing the full time until maybe a year later. What happened was I got fired from uh, the full time job. Well, I got fired from the fam, Family Dollar job. Then I, then I got another full-time job uh, working construction for like 11 months. And then I, I got fired on one of my kids' birthday, man. Jesus. June 30, in two days. Jesus. Six years ago, I got fired on my son's birthday. Well, let's dive into that because I remember you, you and I were texting, or you had posted about that story, actually. And I yeah, remember talking yeah, to you about yeah, it. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's dive into that a little bit, and you know we can kind of dive in now to the meat and potatoes of this. Really, yeah, just kind of really talking about it. shared experiences. <laughs> yeah, like I said, because uh, disadvantages that we face as in a black community is one of the things that really lost me off into having my own business. Uh, like I said, after I got fired from the family dollar job, what happened with that was I was trying to stop someone from stealing. They wasn't happy with that. They ah. pushed me. Yeah, they pushed me. And I'm like, hold on. You may got the wrong decision here. <laughs> <laughs> and they pushed me again, man. And once they pushed me that second time, I just took off on it because I had dealt with it. Like, I, I worked in a real, real rough neighborhood. I had been pepper sprayed before, before from trying to stop somebody still and all that. But, uh, but. Through all my efforts, I, I was I was gaining some shine from our district manager, and our store manager wasn't wasn't liking how the district manager would come to the store and talk to me about things over the store manager. So when he saw the opportunity to me attacking the customer or whatever, when I was basically defending myself, he decided to fire me. He just decided to fire me. I didn't give a shit anyway because I hated the job and I moved on. And like I said, the best friend. He was a foreman. The farmers are like supervisors in uh in the construction industry. He got me on to the uh the construction job. So I was on the job, so let's, let's move on to what what led to or what was part of my firing, we should say. Um it, 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 we we uh we worked outside ten hours a day, uh putting pipe uh pipelines underneath the ground, water lines. Uh, drainage line, sewage line, stuff like that. Well, where, where it was structured was the supervisor needed truck, needed the truck. The truck was to help us out with the daily work duties, put the shovels in the bag of the truck, get the crew from um, the job site trailer to where we were driving at to do the dig outs and everything. Um, and to say, and since the performance had so much shit to do, uh, other than most, most of it's paperwork and meetings and stuff in the middle of the day when we slow work down. So instead of the farmers being on site, they had a stipend program in line with the entire company where uh, a farmer can select or a guy on a crew can volunteer who had a truck and they can use their truck as the work truck for the day to get a $25 a day stipend. And um, so $25 a day, five times a week. 
That's one twenty-five four times. That's five hundred extra dollars a month you could bring into your family. Now I'm gonna tell you the truth. A lot of guys out there did not care to do that because they cared more about the Trump than they cared about <laughs> the extra money he was bringing in for whatever the hell reasons. I couldn't understand it, but then, uh, on his crew they had what was called the Lee Man, and our crew, uh, our Lee Man, Lee Man name was Mike. And um, when I first started the job, up until this point, I've been on the job. Mike used his work truck on the job sites every single day we was at work. So every single day we worked for up until this point with my own experience. It was like seven, maybe seven to eight months. Mike got them 25 extra dollars a day on the job site. So one day, Mike had a 1992 Ford pickup truck he got from his grandfather. Somebody got passed down to him. Yeah. It wasn't no fancy truck. He just, he got it from point A to point B. Mike was a family man like me. He had some kids at home. You know, his wife had, had the best vehicle so she can get better around with the kids. And he just drove around his little hoopty in 1992. And it was, it was a perfect type of work truck because he didn't really care about if a um, shuffle dinged his truck bed or whatever. It was all good. So one day, Mike started having some some uh, truck problems. And, um, and at the time, I had just, myself, had just bought a truck. It was my only hoopty thing. I was doing just like Mike. Uh, I had bought a, a lesser vehicle and let my wife take a better vehicle for the kids and um and that was my A to B car it was uh but it was a 2006 Ford F-150 we had the same model except mine had it by was new about a decade or so um one day it was about two or a week or so I had been getting the $25 a day I'm loving it when I seen the first week I'm like yeah I could Extra hundred twenty five dollars. Fuck <laughs> yeah! Because that, that's that's a bill. Every week you get you get extra money for a bill. So so uh, and one day we out there and um we had superintendents. They were in, in in the structure of construction companies. They're superintendents and, and superintendents wake over everybody else. Like superintendents, their farmers. Well, superintendents, surveyors. Informers, then lead men, and then the rest of the crew, the operators, the guys who work on the machines, they're somewhere in the middle because they make cake, man. They make, they make a lot of money out there. I can't lie. Some of those guys make more money than their own supervisors if they worked a lot of weeks, a lot of hours that week. So, anyways, the superintendent came on the site. I can remember it because of the effect he had in my life. The guy's name was Dave uh, Leviton. Not Dave Leviton. I'm sorry. It was Brad. Dave Levitan was another asshole. <laughs> 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 I kind of getting mixed up. But the other guy named was Brad. He was, he was, uh, Dave Levitan was our, our main superintendent who was always on our job site. And Brad was one who, he would touch and go come in and out. But we maybe see him once or twice a week. So Brad seen my, um, my truck on the job site one day. Uh, he sent uh, a survey over, a surveyor over. That's the guy who like, he shoots the uh, the lasers down to map out our job sites or whatever. It's hard to explain. But he says the guy over, the guy named Scaffish, and Scaffish comes over to me. I'm um, like, yeah, Marlon, uh, Brad said, uh, 
you're gonna have to move your uh, your truck off the work site. And I'm like, what? For for what reason? You know what I'm saying, and like I said, I called it a hoopty, but it's not hoopty. The truck looked really nice at the time. Um, he's like, yeah. He said you have to move it off the uh, the job site because um you gotta have you know it's couple of possible day to have a vehicle on the work site. You gotta have a half a million dollars worth of service company. I knew this for a fact that that was true because, like I said, my best friend was informing. He used to bitch all the time about how much his insurance costs just <laughs> just to, to be liable, so the, so the company won't be liable for anything on the job site. So I knew this. So, but but it was in, it was in the middle of the work. We was digging out. It was in the middle of the work, so it all had got stopped. And all, the crew looking at looking at me like, and looking at the guy Kevin's like, what you mean half a million dollars insurance? So, and then I look over the mic. And Mike got, he in the deer in the headlights. Uh, I say, Mike, so, uh, your truck, you had a uh, half a million dollars insurance on your truck? And all Mike did was shake his head and put his head down because Mike couldn't speak too much because he knew once ever, whatever the fuck he got his truck straight, he was going to be looking to bank the extra $500 a month so he couldn't speak too much on the turn. And that's another thing about we, what we said when we spoke about that. Just not being racist is not enough. Sometimes you have to fight and contend for people when you see them being put at a disadvantage. For sure. So anyway, so he, so anyway, he just sat there and just was like, "I don't know what to tell you." I, I don't respect his mind at the same time because he's he protecting his himself and his family. So I wasn't even I wasn't too much upset with with Mike. I was upset with the situation, and, and then I was younger than I didn't have as much fighting me to really. Fight that situation the correct way. I fed it the, I fought it the wrong way. Uh, I stopped giving the shit to a certain degree. I started making backhanded comments because I felt like it was unfair. Because I don't feel like it was unfair. It was fucking unfair, right? Because sure enough, sure enough, once once Mike got his work truck done, once uh, once Mike got his truck fixed, his back on the job site. Because I refused to let them use my truck ever again. And once Mike got his, uh, and, and, and once Mike stopped using his truck and nobody else on the crew wanted to use their truck, our foreman had was stuck using his truck on the job site. And he was pissed off about that. That it's making his job hard or whatever. So when Mike got his uh, truck fixed, he was back on the job with the truck, collecting $25 a day. The guy Brad, who stopped me, in my 2006 Ford truck, after that day, saw Mike's truck on the job site, 1992, Ford, Ford pickup, same as mine, way older, way more beat up, for a fact did not have any insurance at all, still on the job site, still getting extra $125 a week. And, crazy. Um, and about two two months later, after the incident, I got I got fired. I got fired. The craziest thing is about me getting fired, besides it being my kid birthday, was the owner of I got I got fired on the Wednesday. The owner of the company came on the job site on a Monday. And on that Monday, my former at the time, because we had switched crews. We had all switched crews because our former our original former had went to late charge to another job to make more money. So they put us on a new crew. 
almost our old crew went to the same crew, you know, with a new foreman in high. And that foreman had just talked me up that Monday about how well, how the task, how, how well I was doing my job. Now, at this point, because I was being an asshole and just, they, they was trying to take, trying to make me useless, the job I was doing was basically a fucking, a job a fucking monkey could do. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I, so I really wasn't useful to a degree anyways, but the shit that they had me doing, I did it better than they expected me to do it. So that Monday, he talked me up. And then, and then the next day on it, the next day was that Tuesday. They had, they had someone come out and, and survey the crew and just take notes on everything we do throughout the day. That was that Tuesday. And on that Wednesday at the end of the work day. Pull the plug. It was like, yeah, man, we're going to, uh, I'm gonna have to let you do, man. It's just not working out. Well, dude, it's crazy <laughs> when, once you start talking about, you know, uh, getting fired, losing jobs. Because I, I don't think I told you this story, but keeping it short and sweet, it sounds like there's a uh, a parallel in terms of how management handled the situation. Because the only job that I had, or the first job I had out of school, I worked for the newspaper. Um, they brought in a new writer. But my boss had told me point blank to my face that Monday, yeah, we're hiring this guy. Um, you're going to stay the same. You know, keep focusing on the section that you're writing for. You're doing really well with it. Great. And then come Friday, literally about to head out the office and pulls the plug on me. I'm like, you f- like, you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> yeah, man, so it's just the, it's just the nature of people blindsiding. Like, but going back to the dollar dollar uh, tree story you know something that i saw happen recently cuz you talk about you know the the racial motivations between customers and uh employees so gas station by my house you know that i go to all the time there's literally three gas stations near my house and i go to two of them well this one see the same people working Pretty much all the time. Well, one of the guys that's working one day, and now that, and it could be because I haven't gone lately because of the pandemic and shit, but I haven't seen him in there recently. But I wonder because the last time I did see him in there, you know, the line was backed up about seven people deep, and yeah. cashier's black, customer's white, and they they the customer was getting pretty animated with them and kind of just looking on the outside in from the situation I, I was almost waiting for something to pop off essentially with it as far as her making some sort of racial or stupid statement because all you got to do is go on youtube and you'll find these things happen in convenience stores quite often Look, luckily it didn't happen luckily it didn't happen but i'm just sitting there thinking to myself like oh shit like here we go but i get to the she was arguing it was over like six dollars i think something with the refund with the gas whatever the case may be like the woman was completely blowing it all out of proportion and the dude's just like look this is the receipt this is what it is and she just wasn't having it well i get up i get up to the to the front of the counter and again this dude was seven deep was all this is going on and i just kind of look at him i was like one of those days huh he's just like dude fucking stupid i'm like Preaching to the choir, dude. I worked in customer service for a long time. But it just, whenever you see those situations like that, obviously one of the things you said was people need to speak up. People need to 
have an have an ear on the ground and have an eye out when you when you feel like something might happen. Luckily for me, you know, nothing happened, nothing came of it, but Dude, I, I'm not lying. Like, I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, oh, shit. Because the only thing I can think about, too, and this is the reality, is at the end of the day, if that cashier, let's say this woman does drop a racial slur and says something egregious. If that kid reacts, it's going to be him who gets fired, him who ultimately takes the loss from. And that's what sucks. Because if something egregious is said, even if he defends himself, even if it's nonviolent, even if it's just verbal, chances are... He says something back, and he gets fired. So me as a customer, I'm like, okay, well, I have nothing to lose from this if she says something stupid. So I'm just kind of sitting back like, all right, if you say something like you you want to step in so you can at least (laughs) protect this kid from losing his job by reacting to it. So it just – and uh, another situation, which I remember I I told you about this – you know, I play flag football on Sundays with some friends. There was a guy out there, came out there with a black with a black guy nonetheless, and we were talking about all the shit that was going down with Mardi Gras. You know, people running out in front of floats, people getting killed. And one of the comments the dude said, he was like, he kind of like looked around, whispered, and said, yeah, you know, it's all the men words. And I'm not going to say it because obviously not comfortable using that word. Um, but I just looked at him and I was like, dude, first and first of all, why'd you look around and why'd you whisper before saying it? Uh, and second of all, you came out here with a black dude. Like, how do you think he'd feel if he heard you say that? And the dude just kind of got that deer in the headlights look. And I'm just like, so, you know, you fucked up. Like if you're going to have the audacity to say that about the black community at least have the fucking audacity to put your balls next to what you're saying because you're a piece of shit let the world hear you if if you're gonna stand on some shit like that let the world hear you exactly (laughs) so it just dude it drives me nuts man and now because of what's happening and everything you're seeing right now of course some of those comments are coming to the forefront um and you know one of the things that you had mentioned to me, which of course is something interesting, um, and it's truthful. You know, when you had mentioned when you started driving, um, you know, you you told me a story about oh, getting pulled shit, over with police. So, man. you know, let's dive into that. Um. Yeah, man. Driving a lot about being black in America, man. Um, as far as my childhood, I ain't really had no experiences that um that were that tough. Um until I got an adult and I looked back at some of the inappropriate moments where I had interactions with police that that weren't necessary situations where <coughs> police overreach. Now before I touch in to my experience with driving, I'm gonna touch back to my childhood, uh, two different experiences from um being a, being a child uh, and interacting with the police that just didn't make sense to me now looking back at it as an adult is uh, one day it was uh, we were out of school it, it, it was a uh, it was something we was out of school for and um, it, 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 and uh, I'm just walking to the corner store <clears throat> walking to the corner store for my grandmother's house staying with my grandmother because we didn't want to have to work 
And um, on my way home from the corner store, the, the police rolled up on me and was like, yeah, man, what you doing out here? And it, and it was just whole intimidation play they, put, they played on me as a child. Now, I probably was like nine to 10 when this happened. And it still took this little day. Like, that was not necessary. You understand that this is all day from school. That's why I'm out here, you know what I'm saying, walking to the store. My grandmother's house is super close to the car, so probably like a block and a half. And, you know, back then, um, <clears throat> kids had a little bit more freedom to move around than we do today just because things just move faster. But, um, in another incident, um, I was riding my bike. I was probably like 12, 12, or 12 at this time, 12 or 13 at this time, and the cop pulled me over because I was riding on the wrong side of the street on the sidewalk. Oh, my God. <laughs> Crazy shit, man. I couldn't believe it. Matter of fact, I was, I was 13 because I was in high school at the time, and I was leaving football practice. And exactly what happened. It was probably like 6 or 7 o'clock at night, uh, and I'm just riding down the sidewalk. But I was on the wrong side of the street, and the cop pulled me over. That's insane. And it, and it, and it was it, it was this whole plate, like you see in all the videos of when um, the police just impede on your piece, and they want to they want to invoke you into committing a crime. You know what I'm saying? But even right, I mean, I'm, I'm a kid, like I don't know. so. I, but all this is missing me. There, I'm just thinking he just. He's just being a good guy, but I, you can say at the same time you can still understand what that—that's a reach. It was just—it's another reason why he could have been doing that. Well, this I was is kid. one of the one of the YouTube channels, and if you're listening to this, check it out. It's called Audit the Audit, and basically, what this guy does that runs this YouTube page is he takes police interactions. Now, of course, there's. Black police interacting with white people, there's, you know, there's a mixing, there's a blending of it. Right, so it right, takes right. all these police interactions, and what they do is he goes through the coding within that state's laws, and he'll grade the interactions of the citizen, he'll grade the interactions of police. Because, of course, in the YouTube age, you have people that bait police intentionally to try to trip up the police now. Right, um, right, right. So he takes all these videos, though, and he, he kind of grades them. And, dude, there's so many instances like you where you're literally riding a fucking bike on the other side of the road and a police officer stops stops a child for that, you know? There was an incident, um, two that come to mind that I saw on, on this YouTube channel. Uh, one... I wish I could remember the kid's name. Unfortunately, I can't. And fortunately, he got away, no arrest or anything like that. But good kid, 17 years old, uh, was driving. They couldn't figure out why they pulled him over. They they crossed their story. First, it was a blinker. Then it was a a, a, a failure to turn or something like that. They, they mixed it up. His mom gets on the site, and his mom... Um, worked for the city and i i think she actually worked in the legal department too so she of course comes like full mama bear at this and is like no why the fuck's my son in handcuffs well it's for our safety and of course they use the typical tactics one of the things that you and i talked about recently 
is one of the things that officers will do when they say, I, I smell marijuana, because essentially that gives them the right to get their canines. You know, they, the second the canines touch the car, of course, they're like, oh, well, there's a detection. And sometimes, yeah, there may be, but other times it's, it's fucking bullshit. They're triggering those dogs to touch the car so they can search it. And unfortunately, for the person that's getting pulled over, you cannot prove what that cop smells it's it's one of the typical loopholes um another incident was them actually pulling over a a representative for the city um they pull over this woman middle age probably 45 50 she starts laughing at the police officer when they get her id and stuff and she asked why am i being pulled over well we ran your car and uh, we're just checking out, make sure it's not stolen or anything. And she, of course, was like, okay, well, why'd you run my license plate? Oh, we just do it time to time. Well, when she got their information from them, the cop's demeanor obviously got nervous once she told them who, once she told them who she was. But it's just, dude, it's those cases of just police overstepping their boundaries. And of course, I'm not going to, I'm not going to paint police in a broad brush but the reality is they're paid to uphold the law and too many of them don't even if it happens just once once is enough to say all right well once is too many exactly once, once is enough to be like okay let's 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 uh look at the board and see what we can do to fix this not not uh it's just one bad apple don't look at them focus on everything else it's about focusing on whatever bad energy we have but at the end of the day it's, it's not a bad apple is a bad culture. Yes. It's the entire it's the entire orchid <laughs> that's functioning from this bad soil. And that's where we need to go from the roots and just restructure the whole thing. And um this touch base on me as an adult interacting with the police. And this is all because I don't like going out a lot. I don't like partying too much. I never really had no interaction with police. Well, dude, on that you got end. your hands full if you're out partying. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> but even when I when I didn't have no kids, man, it was just never my scene. And part part of that party is just me just not wanting to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I, I mean, I never drank, I never smoked, I never did none of that stuff. So maybe that's another reason why parties just never attracted to me. Yeah, but um. The first time I got pulled over, I had been driving two weeks. My car still had a temporary uh, license plate in the window. I had a 2000, 2006 Ford Explorer. I was super amped to have this vehicle. So um, one day I'm visiting my grandmother. It, it's a trend with this. I just stopped coming from uh, my grandmother's house a lot. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I get stopped from working on so uh, and at this time I was riding with a cousin. Uh, this cousin of mine, um, he's about four, four or five years older than me. So at this point, I'm 17. So he's 21, 22 at the time. He's already learned um, how the world perceives him, or how cops perceive him in, in certain situations. So uh, crazy situations. So we be driving down the street. And um, we see a police car hit our direction on the other side of the medium. Now, the medium is probably 30 feet wide, man. It's a, it's a huge 
is a huge uh, medium or a neutral ground. So while we uh, driving down the streets, like, man, my cousin was like, man, I bet they come fuck with us. And like I said, at the time I was green, um, I, I never had any bad interaction with cops until this point. All I knew of is what I seen uh, growing up, uh, the right to King is good and the old shit from the 60s. I'm, I'm, I'm green. I'm naive at this time. I'm thinking all that shit's in the past. It's not something we got to deal with. So, uh, so we uh, passed the cops. You know, one side of the medium, they're on the other side. And sure enough, they make the U-turn once we pass each other and come get behind us. And about 15, 15 feet later, here come the lights come on. Um, so we pull over. I'm shook at the time because uh, I'm legal. I'm, I'm supposed to be riding with someone who has a driver's license. And his cousin did not have a driver's license. So they pulled me over. And um, because I, at this time I don't know my rights, I don't know what the cops can and can't do. Uh, they pull us over. Uh, they tell us they pulled me over because they couldn't see my temporary license plate through the window. That was the reason initially for pulling us over. They couldn't see our temp tag through the window of factory tenant car, broad daylight, clear day, <laughs> like two or three, two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and they see they couldn't see a tip a temp tag through uh, factory tent. So long story short, on on this, me and my cousin, two young black adults, we standing on side of the road with our shoes off and our pants down on side of the road after a pat down while they're searching our car because they couldn't see my license plate. Crazy. That's crazy. And, and <laughs> you know? just to, just full disclosure for the record, I mean, so they pull you over. Um, they tell you that what, like, I guess what, what was the next step? Like, what did they ask you to do initially? You know, of course, did you cooperate? Like, what, what was the interaction before they got you out the car? Oh, uh, a, a lot of that's foggy, man, because that was, um, that was about 14 years ago now. Yeah. But from, from what I understand is, they, they, uh, once they saw my license and they saw that I was supposed to, uh, they saw my permit at the time. And so my permit, they, they knew and understood that I was supposed to be with somebody, uh, somebody older who was supposed to be riding with me. For sure. So yeah, so they already had us on that, so they already got us shook, and they just asked us to get out of the car. You know, we not going to fight back. You know what I'm saying? Because all we know is from what we were taught was just listen to whatever the cops tell you to do. Absolutely. So we get out of the car. They asked us to search like that. They just searched their car. <laughs> Well, dude, and that's, that's what, how they went That's what sucks, man. Is of course you know you're you're forced to listen to them because obviously they they wield a certain power. So it just puts you between a rock and a hard place. Because on one hand, I mean, I guess especially now it's different, just because like you said, you're older. But yeah. even now, you know, you get pulled over, and if you know they're infringing on your rights. There's still a certain way you're gonna have to play that situation out, especially as a black man. It, like, right, you can't just, you can't just beat your chest like I know my rights. Especially a guy my size, like for the viewers who don't know, man, he was a defensive two. lineman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm six two, three hundred and fifty pounds, and I'm I haven't worked out in two years, and I still look like I still look. I have a nice build to me. 
even then, when I was 17, I was even more fit, more into my real football next game. So, well, dude, one I, of the one of the things you also told me, you know, that we were kind of talking about, and this is something I've known. I mean. I, I can't remember uh, whose car it was, but before I get into that, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about recently is the fact that you have to drive certain cars. You can't put certain rims. You can't yes. have certain tint. You have to, you have to make your car look as quote unquote clean as possible because of that. That's, and you know, I, <laughs> I thought. Got a story on that too, Mike. With, story on that too. <laughs> well, before before we get to that, I I don't remember who it was, and I don't want to use first and last names of people that we know mutually, uh, yeah. just for the simple fact of I don't want to step on anyone's toes. But I believe it was one of the offensive linemen when we were at Nichols had that like beige low riding car with like blackout tint and some fucking rims on it, but it was an old beat up car essentially. Um, yeah. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. Okay, perfect. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that's kind of my point. Like, this dude here that we're talking about who drove this car, one of the softest spoken, like, nicest dudes. Now, keep in mind, he's also a lineman, so he's a big fucking dude. Um, right. But, like, soft spoken. But because of that car, if he gets pulled over, despite him being soft spoken, well mannered, whatever the case may be, because of the color of his skin and because of that car, he's automatically basically set behind the eight ball which is the phrase i like to use a lot here but yeah you know going back to your story with the car though let's hear that one okay uh, at the time uh, uh i had back college because my mom needed help at home and i was working a security job and the security job at the time it was sweet gig i was i was making a lot of good money so uh the first thing young black man i don't know about y'all but the first thing black, young black man want to do when you get some money, he's probably just want to check out his car. So <laughs> I'm fine with my piece of shit 2009 Corolla. <laughs> <laughs> but, but back then, man, I want, I want. That's what you got to do. You had to flex. So the one thing, one thing you got to do to flex is, is check out the car. And that's that was back when putting my ride and all that stuff was still hot. <laughs> that was still a thing. You so did you so, put um, a? So before we get into that, did you put a hot tub in the back of the car? Did we get that far? <laughs> <laughs> if I had any sources, I probably wouldn't. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyways, man, so I had this money in my in my pocket, just burning a hole in it. And I had a friend of mine who paid the cards. So I took my uh, 2006 Ford Explorer and I painted the candy apple red with gold flakes in it. <clears throat> okay. And on top of that, on top of that, I still kept I still kept a uh, legal tech because I already knew that was one. Thank for sure you can get pulled over with black and white. I ain't with no problems. So, um, but anyway, <clears throat> so, but I did. I painted the candy apple red, put the gold flakes in it, and I put some 22s on it. Now, if you see this car off the rip, so then you're going to be like, that's that's a dope boy car. That's somebody who sells drugs or whatever. <laughs> and sure enough, that's how I was treated for that year and a half. I had that car like that. I was stopped. 15 times. Jesus Christ, dude. In a, in a year and a half. I don't know that I've been stopped. stopped 15 times in my life. <laughs> just, just in one year and a half in that vehicle, uh, I was stopped. And the last time I got stopped, stopped, stopped 15, 
I was on my way from my grandmother's house. <laughs> Bruh. Crazy. <laughs> There's a trend. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I was on my way from my grandmother's house. Um, yeah, she lives in Elgis. Elgis, uh, and the streets over there are terrible. And like yeah. I said, I had rims on my car. So, uh, I'm coming down the street, and the cops turn around to get behind me. And uh, I go around the fire hole. He goes around the pothole. I go around the pothole. He goes around the potholes. And we, and we do this. We do this dance for about a half to three quarters of a mile. We do this dance around the potholes because the streets are fucking awful. For sure. So at, at the end of this dance, the lights come on. And he pulled me over. So he walks up to the, the vehicle with the flashlights. It's nighttime. It's nighttime. Oh, okay. It's nighttime. Uh, he pulls up with the flashlight. He's looking, he looking in the car. Trying to see if you can find something. I rolled the window down. He's like, yeah, man, you know why I stopped you? I was like, nah, uh, what's going on? He's like, I stopped you because you were shooting on the road like you were drunk. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> he said, yeah, man, you was doing a lot of swerving, man, so I had to pull you over. But like I said, me being me and what I look like, I, I, I've never been confrontational with the police for because the simple fact that the moment I show some aggression they're going to be threatened because of my stature for sure so I'm not even I'm not even going there with them so I'm like alright man here's my license here's my registration he runs he runs everything everything comes back clean he comes back to the car hey my, my, my license registration and you're like yeah just be careful man stop stop serving like that that night in the middle of the night it was, it was maybe like 10 11 o'clock at night I took the rims off the car and put my factory rims back on it. Yeah. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night with the rims. In the middle of the night, because these shit done, I took all four rims off and put on all, I put on the whole uh, factory tires. And um, and I'm going to tell you the truth, even in our own community, there's some there's some disbelief to a degree with uh, interaction with the police. Because on top of that, I'm still young. So, you know, when you're young, you got a lead foot, you drive fast. I had a sound system in the car. So I used to blast my music all the time. So my family always thought when I was when I was sharing my experiences with them that I was guilty to agree. Either I was driving fast, my music was loud, or something. So I'm going to uh, give you this, this story on maybe like the, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth time I got started. It was something like that. My mom is riding with me. And guess where we're headed from? Your grandma. From my grandma. From my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> so we leave my grandma house, man. And we make and we make we make a turn. We make a turn. Um, and when we make this turn, I see the the cops are already headed down the street. And I'm like, oh shit, man. So I say, Mom, I bet they're gonna stop me. She's like, stop stop me for what shit you never done. So we get to the stop sign, I make a complete stop. Then I pull off. Get to the next stop sign. I make a complete stop. Then I pull off. After that second stop sign, sure enough, I got pulled over. And then when the lights came on, I looked over to my mom. I told you. I said, I told you. I told you it was going to pull over. That's so once they pulled me over, they never, they never gave me a reason for why they stopped me. They just said, license and registration, please. And not only did they ask my license, Excellent mom's license. Oh my god! Yes, so she had to go in her wallet. She put her 
her license too. They run both our licenses, never come back. And, but when they gave us that information, the cop was like, yeah, um, make sure you get that, that brake light back there fixed. That's why I stopped you. I'm like, all right, cool. So I let the cop pull off. I'm like, now, man, get out the car. I'm going to press these brakes. And you tell me if one of these brake lights is out. So she gets out of the car, go in the back of the car, look at the brakes. I press the brakes. All three of the lights come on. The middle lights and the two side lights. Jesus Brake lights. Dude. All of them come on. She come in the car. And I say, I told you. And she still, she still remember that to herself this day, that instant. Because she didn't believe me either. Because I did drive fast. I'm going to be honest with that. I did. I mean, I most did. young people do. Yeah, most young people do. I had the sound system. I did have my music loud. But almost every time I got stopped, I ain't going to say all 50 of those times that it was for no reason. Maybe it was because of the music. They, they, they saw them going to be fast when I had to see them, so I didn't have a chance to turn down my music. They might, they might got stopped, but most of the times, probably, except for one, all 15, was just because I, I fit the description to a degree. For sure. Of being in that car, being a young black man, I had a big face at the time, so man, I have no hair in my face. I was 21 years old. I still have no hair in my face. So I just look like I look guilty just driving the car. And it was just, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And that's when I learned to just drive the more humble, humble incognito car. Now, what I did a year later after taking the ribs off, not even a year, probably like six or eight months later, I ended up painting the truck black. Yeah. And. And from the time I, cause I still got stopped, but not as frequent with just the the, 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 the paint color. I still got stopped often, but yeah. not as often as when I had the rims. But once I changed the color of the paint, it was almost like nothing. I, I didn't get stopped at all, I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, it goes from, okay, cool, here's... Here's a black man who could potentially be a criminal to, okay, here's just a black man driving a car. Like, <laughs> I mean, to put it bluntly. And that's so my, so my, my DWB uh, rate went down a little bit. My driving wild black. <laughs> <laughs> my driving wild black uh, radar went down a little bit once I uh, Right. Well, dude, I was but telling yeah. you, I was telling you these stories, and I'll, I'll rehash them, but... Uh, the two that I told you, and I, I remember your reaction to him just being like, damn, dude, like, if I fucking do that, like, my ass is getting arrested. <laughs> so, the the first the, the first one, I've, I've been pulled over probably, I, I would say between eight to ten times in my life, and all but two of those, I definitely should have been pulled over. Uh, one was for speeding, which I still contest to this day. I wasn't. Uh, and the other one was for a quote-unquote rolling stop. And I saw the police officer. Um, and unlike unlike someone like you or someone who is black, if I pass a cop, of course I'll look in my rear view. But if I don't do anything that doesn't warrant them pulling me over... I may still look, but I'm not in a sense of, oh, shit, here they come. And that's yes. the difference. Um, so anyway, I, I stop at a stop sign. I pull off, and I saw the police officer, so made sure I stopped. And 
Sure enough, I see the lights go on, and I'm thinking to myself, ah, that can't be for me, you know, whatever. Well, then he gets behind me, and this is the reaction. If I see lights behind me, I get over to move over, not necessarily because I think I'm getting pulled over. Um, That's a nice feeling. Exactly. Like, it's a distinct (laughs) difference. So uh, he gets over, uh, pulls, pulls me over and everything, comes up to the window, and I, I told you this, he had a fucking miserable attitude from the time he pulled me over and got to my window. Comes up, kind of snarky, he's like, are you in a hurry? I'm like, no, not really, why? He goes, well, do you know why I pulled you over? I was like, not sure. And he goes, you don't believe in stop signs? And I just kind of played dumb, I was like, I don't understand the question. And, uh... <laughs> He's like, you don't believe in stop signs. You, you didn't stop. I was like, I, I thought I did. I'm sorry if I didn't, but I thought I did. And he goes, no, you didn't. So now I need your license and registration. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, as well as my insurance. So I start, I give him my license. Well, I hadn't thrown away years worth of registration nor insurance cards. They're all sitting in my glove box. I hand him the first two I find. <laughs> They're outdated by like five years, both of them. So, again, if if we're talking my skin color being different, there's probably red flags going off in that police officer's head automatically. Well, anyway, he gets them. He goes, these are outdated. I pull the whole fucking pile out the glove box, and I, I literally start going through them one by one on my seat. And uh, he looks at me. He, like, basically tosses the other two at me. He goes, all right, dude, just get out of here and... Be, ca- be careful when you drive. And Sorry. I stick my hand out the window, and I was like, thank you, I appreciate it, have a great day. Dude, he turns around, gives me the shit-eating grin, and he shakes his head. He's like, dude, just get out of here. And I was, and I roll up my window, and I told you this, I kind of muffled under my breath as my window's going up. I was like, oh, what a dick. And I don't know if he heard me to this day, but again, that situation probably plays out differently. But the other one, and this is a more extreme case. This was a night out, and this is, you know, the the saying goes, no good things happen at 2 a.m. Well, I'm out in Thibodeau, and I know you weren't a big, you know, person for going out, but you know as well as I do, Rocks is. That's where pretty much the football team hung out, and then occasionally, for those who wanted to try to go home with somebody, they take their asses the last call for the last 30 minutes there to try to pick someone up. Well, um, I'm out with a couple of guys from the team. One of them, another offensive lineman, um, white dude, so let's get that distinction out the way. And I'm eating peppers, I'm drunk as shit, stuffing my face with pizza, and I look across the street and I see him up against the wall with cops. I'm like, well, fuck, that's my ride home. So I walk over there, pizza in my hand, drunk as shit, and walk up and I was like, dude, the fuck's going on? And he's like, I don't know, I got into some trouble, uh, some bullshit, and one of the officers sees me talking to him, he's like, you need to get away. I was like, well, he's my ride home, so uh, I kind of need to hang out here. And he goes, alright, fine. So I'm talking to the dude, again, not dropping names here. Um, but anyway, he was dancing with a girl, and this is kind of funny, so I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll give some details on this story. He was dancing with a girl at last call, 
and it was a lesbian. Well, the chick's girlfriend got pissed off, so chick's girlfriend runs up on him. Keep in mind, we're talking about another offensive lineman here, and apparently he was being investigated for assaulting this this girl. Now, the girl he allegedly assaulted was all of 5'1". He's 6'5", 330 pounds. She's 5'1", maybe 90 if that. And <laughs> cop comes over there, starts talking about it. And again, I'm drunk. I just look at him and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, he assaulted her? And he just kind of looks. He goes, yeah, what do you have to say about it? I was like, she doesn't have a scratch on her. How the fuck did he assault her? And, uh cop looks at me and he's just like look you need to tone it down like we're, we're investigating something here you know whatever so anyway i'm i'm like all right fine whatever so we're sitting there we finally get let go he gets a citation doesn't get arrested but he now has to i forget what the charge was but he had to take some classes whatever well as we're walking away he's telling me you know, pissed off about the situation. He's just like, dude, it's fucking bullshit. And I hear the cop, we're across the street. And this cop was like, what the fuck did you say? And I was like, we're two friends having a conversation and he's upset about the entire situation. So turn the fuck around and go talk to your friends. And cop's like, excuse me? Who do you think you're talking to? I was like, you're being a fucking asshole. My friend's pissed off. Like, get the fuck out of here and let us go home. Stop being a piece of shit. Well, anyway, cop then is like, you need to watch it before I take you to jail. I'm like, for what? He goes, you just keep on with that mouth and we'll see what happens. I was like, yeah, okay, we'll see. Thanks for fucking coming out. We'll call you. And we walk away. I go unscathed. So... Those are two situations where, we'll call it what it is, I invoked my white privilege on a police officer. <laughs> and if someone like you does that, it's a different situation That's entirely. Different story, <laughs> so it's just, dude, I, I just, and the part that, that baffles me is so many people just don't see the situations for what they are. I mean, look... It's okay to admit the reality of these situations. And again, I said this earlier, I'm not going to paint the brush that all police officers are bad. I'm not going to paint the brush that no black person that gets stopped is, you know, not all of them are innocent. But at the end of the day, there's a disproportionate cases of bad interactions when it's, when it's black citizens. And that fucking sucks. Yeah, and it's not even always about being innocent or guilty. Sometimes it's about how we're handled for in sure. those situations. Um, just for, like, I got another story. I'm trying to say it as fast as I can. Uh, uh, one New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve, I got, went, I, uh, got arrested. I had an attachment off of my arrest for a speeding ticket I didn't pay. I probably was, uh, I was either 18 or 19. I was somewhere in that window when this happened. And a guy, they, they, they stopped me because they said it looked like I was speeding. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't contest that. That it just, that it just looked like I was speeding. Cause, uh, what happened was I was driving past the intersection and it was, they were just approaching the stoplight at the, uh, the buddy intersection. So they just, they just saw me drive past and it looked like I was, I was fast. 
So they had to put me over with my license. I had an attachment at the time for speed. I didn't know what attachment was at this time. I was only 18, 19 years old. I didn't know the severity of not paying a speeding ticket at the time. So, um, so, um, yeah, so I, I get pulled over and I get arrested and sent to jail on New Year's for a speeding ticket. So, uh, a week later, a, a week later, I'm back in the same, same neighborhood. You wouldn't believe me. It's my grandmother's house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to tell you you should stop seeing your grandmother, but maybe you need to stop going to her house. <laughs> For real. <laughs> Especially at that time, they're like, shit, just, grandma, I just call you on the phone. So, uh, <laughs> it was New Year's, and we had a lot of, we had, we had a lot of family down here. So, we gathered a lot around there, and, um, like I said, this was maybe a week after I got arrested. Uh, it's, it's nighttime, and we all chill about my grandmother. I have uh, some cousins who stay right around the corner from my uh, my grandmother's house. And um, leaving out, everybody in that knew I got arrested. It was like, Marley, you, uh, you don't want us to drop you off? And they're like, nah, I'm just going to walk. So they can't stop me in the car. I'm going to walk around the corner by my, uh, my cousins. They're like, all right, cool. We'll see you later. So I'm on my own foot. And I'm walking down the street, and I see the police coming. And they flash the lights and put that bright-ass flashlight on me while I'm walking. He's like, you stop right there, stop right there. And two guys parked the car. He's like, yeah, where you headed? Where you going at? And then I hear barking coming out the back seat of the police car. Oh, shit. He's like, <laughs> So they pulled me over, they asked me for my, um, they asked me to pull out my wallet, my ID, my whatever, so I can identify myself. I'm not asking them what they detained me for, and they're like, damn, just, like I say, I just listen to the cops and tell them to just do what, what they want, whatever they want me to do. So once I give them my information, the parking stops, and who gets out the back seat, but the police officer that arrested me the week prior. Holy shit. And guess what? I ended up in jail a week later. Oh my god. Yeah, I had the same fucking, the same attachment for the speech. Because I had family. It was only a week away. And uh, I just didn't have a chance to, to handle the shit. And that, that cop, well, it was a cop pretending to be a dog in the backseat barking at me. And the guy, the guy was the guy who had just arrested me. And the Wait, so the officer was, was in the backseat pretending to bark? Yes, there wasn't a what dog. The it was fuck? the police officer. It was a police officer who had arrested me the week prior. That's they were all just riding insane. around the car. Jim, the supervisor, and another guy. That's absolutely in fucking sense. That shit crazy, though. It was all because of a speeding ticket. Well, I mean. One, one, one student, eighteen, nineteen year old, and that's that's that was that's what he was doing. Well, obviously, this is this is a hyperbole, but I mean, it, it's ridiculous because you see this all the time. It's petty stuff like that that turns into death sentences for so many people, and that's what fucking sucks. Yeah, and, um, and I'm thankful for those situations that nothing happened. I didn't get beat up. 
I didn't, I, nothing, nothing really happened to me besides being traumatized. Yeah. And, uh, and tortured for, for a minor offense. Like I'm saying, just like your, your situation where you couldn't find your right paperwork, so the cop just told you to go about your business. Right. In that same situation, the cop was going to be like, hey, you're going to have to find your paperwork, or you're going to get it back in my car. Because I, I used to do the same thing. I used to do the same thing. I used to just, when I get a new registration and get a new insurance card, you store it all in the car. Exactly. Store it all in the glove box. You know, in one instance, I had to do the same thing you did. I had to search through all of them to find the correct one. And the dude was standing in my window like, you better find the right one or you're going to be right. in the back of my car. Right. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a whole different interaction we get with police. Whether we're right, whether we're wrong, it don't matter. It's about the interaction and the way we treat need to be Needs to be better. Just point blank. And that's that's of course some of the conversations and we're gonna move a little further beyond police on this, but before we do that, um, you know, one point I'd like to make and this is this is the tough part. Like I, I legit was thinking about this as all this was happening, because of course the conversation's been moving heavily. Um really since the Ahmad Arbery shooting and then of course uh, you know, a couple not too long after George Floyd, now the conversation's really moving. But one of the big talking points is how black parents have to talk to their kids and have that conversation about police. And that's like, for me, that's painful that that even has to happen. Because, you know, my my son has toys, you know, he ha- he's, he's a big, ca- he's big into cars. And... He loves cars with sirens, so ambulances, fire trucks, and, of course, police cars. And he sees a police car. He's like, ooh, police car. And the part that that's painful is the fact that for black parents, they have to have the conversation with their kids at some point. You know, and I don't know what that age is because I'm not a black parent. They have to have that conversation at some point. Like, listen, look. This is the reality of the situation. Because of the color of your skin, you might have a different experience than someone that's white, and you have to have the wherewithal to know that. That, like, that's man, you shouldn't like have to tell a fucking man. kid that. That's I'm terrified of that because my kids, like I say, I'm a large individual, and all my kids are in a hundred percentile. I have a ten year old who's five three. Uh, I have a, a five year old who's four three. And I know I'm going to have to have those talks with those guys way earlier than I need to. Yeah. So it's... And that's painful. And that's that's one of the big things. And, you know, one of the things that I was talking with somebody, now we're going to get into some more of the the Black Lives Matter movement and some of the initiatives being taken. A girl I graduated high school with, uh, I was talking to her a couple of days ago, actually, because she made a post... Um, a couple of weeks back, and I saw you shared the post, and it was regarding plantations. Um, she had posted a couple of weeks back that she doesn't let her son, and uh, I think he's around the same age as your oldest, uh, but she doesn't. She didn't let her kid go on a field trip to a plantation uh, near near our house um, because of the history there. And it's essentially a glorified symbol and kind of in the same light as, you know, statues, confederacy. The reality is it is a blatant symbol of 
of racism and slavery. So it and the thing is for me growing up, I didn't think anything of that, you know? It, when, until she said something literally 3 weeks ago. I I didn't th- I never of course I know what happened on plantations, but I was never yeah. like, oh, you know, I, I bet that's tough if you know, a black person attends a wedding at one of these. I never thought about that. And, you know, that's just part of the education process that people like myself have to be understanding of, you know, for us, that's just looked at, oh, it's a nice big house that hosts wedding venues for people that's still a direct tie to a a not that long ago history. Yeah, trauma. It's it's, it's crazy that they're allowed to still reaps profits from those type of establishments. Like those things should be museums and uh, uh, free public spaces. Those shouldn't be for profit businesses. Well, that's like with Whitney Plantation. You kind of, or me, kind of echoing the point on that. And I thought that post was fantastic. And I mentioned that in one of my columns about banning of certain things you know Whitney Plantation takes the initiative to not host venues or not host events and things like that they don't glorify the plantation it is strictly an educational um monument if you will they they use their that plantation strictly to educate people and educate them more so on some of the slaves that fought and uprose to try to get out of that situation out of that lifestyle and when i was reading that i was like well shit this is relevant so i actually sent it to the girl i was talking to um and i was that's that's what sparked the conversation i i had reached out to her and i was like i saw your post a couple of weeks ago thought i'd share this and we just kind of had a back and forth and going back to the parenting side of it you know it, like I said, it just breaks my heart that there has to be tough conversations for, for you guys on that spectrum, like painful conversations and to have with your kids, because it 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 just fucking sucks. We we as parents, we as parents just want to leave this world better when we found it. So hopefully, we can do that, and hopefully, the Black Lives Matter movement and the traction it is gaining right now. Is going to be the the starting point for that. Yeah, and I think I think um, a lot of things are going to be perceived maybe as um, <clears throat> unfortunate in this movement. Like uh, we talked about the other day about the Gatorade situation yeah. um, at Florida University. I think we've been so desensitized. To what our history truly is, that we look past the fact that those type of things still give white supremacy power. Mm-hmm. Like it, it might be, it, it might be so insignificant to look at, but when you really think about a song like that, that, that there's even ties to the fact that little babies were fed to gators as bait. Yeah. And that, that, that's moved on to a, a cheerful thing for the university. It's, it's unbelievable when you really sit back and think about that. Even if, for most people, they don't have a tie to a handsome family member being gay to bait, it's just the fact that 
we look at that like it's not a big deal when it really is. Like, well, we like need Miss- to. It, you know, kind of echoing that, it's, uh, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and it's all these things that are going to come to light, they're conversations that need to be had. Now, of course, with everything when it comes to politics, I, and I wrote this, and I don't know if you read the column, I know you've been slammed with catering as of late, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it was our gargantuan piece, it was 3,200 words about What's it, you know, where do we draw the line with banning certain things? And, you know, the, the gator bait side of it, it's one of those things where it's not a blatant symbol of racism, but it is a conversation that needs to be had. It is a conversation that needs to, the, the historical context needs to be brought to light. Cause the more we educate ourselves on some of this historical context, the more that's going to come to the forefront and the better we'll be. Um, yeah. Another another one that, of course, people are freaking out over right now, and honestly, this one is worse than Gator Bait because, again, Gator Bait is a lot there. There's a there's a more subtle, I think, form of racism behind it, whereas it's not as direct. But Dixie Beer, um, Gail Benson just announced that Dixie's going to be going through a rebrand. Another prominent brand is Aunt Jemima, which is going to be the sixth rebrand it goes through in 130 years. Um, but going back to those two, those are more blatantly obvious that there are racial undertones behind it. Dixie, of course, refers to the Confederate States and – one of the things that's just pissing me off is the amount of people, if you read the comment sections on Facebook right now, they're trying to downplay that, talking about, oh, it means 10. It means the numerical value of this. Like, motherfucker, if you put Dixie in Google right now, you're going to have to dig for that origin. The first thing that is going to pop up is common nickname of the Confederate States. It's a deplorable name. And... Aunt Jemima, with with the logo and stuff like that. The name Aunt Jemima. One of the things that people don't understand is aunt and uncle, when used in that context, were referred to as slave people. Now they were looked at more so as, uh, and I'm trying to think of the right words to say this, but the more honorable slaves by their oppressors. They were the ones who got to stay in the big house. They were referred to as aunts and uncles. So the name Aunt Jemima, given the context of when that brand was designed 130 years ago, namesake alone is tying that directly to slavery. Same with Uncle Ben's. So those things need to change. And when when people start back-pushing on things like that, on more blatant forms of it, like, it it drives me nuts that they just can't see those things for what they actually are. And I, I can, to a degree, I can understand. Um, I can understand uh, the frustration behind it. Because to, to, uh, <clears throat> to a degree, I can understand feeling like you're losing something by, by having those names change. You can... You can um, I think I think people have a hard time looking out of their whole spectrum of things at the end of the day. At the end of the day, you know, they have a hard time of finding compassion for how other people feel. 
Like even if this, it might be an insignificant thing to you. You don't you don't know the type of trauma that holds for somebody else. And I feel like we all be living in a better place if we can't just wash those things out and give people less things to um to feel bad about. Now at the end of the day, I I feel like it's still the same time. It's a catch twenty two because like how we how we function in an environment where nobody is triggered. I think that's impossible. For sure. And I think that's an impossible goal to reach. But I think at the end of the day, anything that can be, can be received as racist, uh, uh, ties to slavery, uh, anything like that, and uh, at the same time, it, it reaps uh, some type of profit. The profit, I mean, some type of profit, the conversation needs to be had on changing those things. And we only we only need to leave these things in historical content. We we won't be washing away history just from removing it from um, a pancake box. If you if you if you, if you, if you, if you as your mama, you still gonna be able to find everything that you want to know about as your mama. We ain't erasing it. We just removing it from. Well, and that's the beauty of where we're at now too with the internet because. You can look up the history behind those things. Um, and with the monuments, that kind of brings us into that aspect of it. You know, these Confederate generals, these things that were blatant ties to racism and slavery. Removing those statues, it it's not going to eradicate the history behind them. We're still going to learn that history. But the ironic part about people screaming that we're erasing history people did these people go to the fucking education system in america because we were never really taught the true history and that's part of the conversation i was actually having with the girl i graduated with the other day um you know she was telling me her grandmother from an early age because her grandmother was a history teacher taught her the stuff that wasn't taught in the classrooms you know one of the misconceptions that you're even seeing now in light of all the protests are in regards to arguably the most iconic figure of the civil rights movement, that, of course, being Dr. Martin Luther King. Right. You know, people like to harp on his quotes about peace and love and harmony, but Martin Luther King, you look up his history – while he certainly wasn't as blatantly, for lack of a better word, anarchist as someone like Malcolm X, he still understood that sometimes desperate times called for desperate measures, and he understood right. that. It wasn't his first or methodology of choice, but he understood that sometimes violence does have a place in society to incite change. And people want to ignore that part of his history, and that's part of the ignorance that comes with the history that's taught in our school systems. And, and the biggest part they like to ignore is the fact that in his time, that man was extremely hated. Yeah. I mean, after all, he <laughs> was no shot and was killed. Nobody was a fan of the guy. Nobody was a fan of the guy. And even, and even after his death, the only thing that really counterpointed... Uh, the signage of civil rights of the civil rights bill is 
violence and rioting through all the cities of around the country when he was murdered. That's one of the things that pushed that bill forward. Mm-hmm. And I feel like through, through it all, I think there's a place for peace and there's a place of violence. I think it all works together. For sure. It's a spectrum. There's no exact... There's no exact answer to any of it. And I mean, going back to kind of what you said about, um, you know, in a sense of finding the perfect answer where we live in a perfect world, that's never going to exist. But, you know, I, I told you this the other day. If we can even progress as far as the civil rights movement progressed off, uh, or progressed us as a, as a nation, if in a 10 years we can have sort of that same progression into a different stratosphere of equality, then that's a win. I mean, because it's not going to change overnight. You know, the day that we become truly equal looked at from an American perspective is the day we can drop the programs like affirmative action, is the day we don't have to have policies in place to level the playing field as much as possible. Right. Yeah, and I feel like we're a long ways from that, but in today's in today's movement, I think we all we all taking steps forward in the right direction. Even with the good and the bad, I think we all we move we moving on to towards that equality eventually. For sure. And you know, kind of playing off that point, you know, as we're about to wrap up here, um, you know, there's if you and I couldn't sit down and have this conversation 70 years ago, you know, exactly. now we're able to, you know, it's 2020, we're able to sp- speak freely about this, and I really appreciate that, you know. Um, I, I mentioned in the beginning of the episode that you and I in college, it was, hey, what's up, dude, fist bump, move the fuck on. And in the last, you know, year and a half, two years, I I think we've developed a solid friendship, you know, especially in the light of Black Lives Matter and the protests. You and I have had a fuck ton of conversations about race and things like that. And, you know, it's part of it's part of the evolution of being a human. It's part of the evolution of growing as a person to have conversations like we just had. It's a necessity to sit down and have these talks, man. It's necessary. It's necessary to see another man in perspective because you you never know what that man has been carrying around that leads to his actions or the way he feels. You, you never knew until you sit down with somebody where they're coming from. And you know, dude, it's it's all part of the learning curve. It's all part of growing, and it's funny because you know I, I was telling another. Uh, mutual friend uh, or someone we know mutually who was involved with the football program. He was person again. I'm not name dropping, but he was the one who did video with me. Um, also, black dude, and it was funny because I was telling him about one of our conversations that we had, and you know, he was just kind of like, "Fuck, dude!" Like I didn't know y'all were tight like that. I'm like, I mean. I want to, essentially for me, I want to know as much as I can about people. So I ask the uncomfortable questions. I'll have the uncomfortable conversations because part of being comfortable is getting uncomfortable at times. You know, 
I I love that I have friends like you who I can sit down with and have these fucking talks. So, um, dude, I really appreciate you coming on here. And all before love, we wrap love. up, anything you want to add? Chickenskitchencatering.com, man. <laughs> <laughs> the plug. The Shame, ultimate shameless plug. plug. Shameless plug, man. Fuck yeah, but dude. Day, another thing I like to add, man, is sit down talk with people. Um, a, close, a close ear is not going to get us anywhere. You can sit down and have these talks, listen to people on both ends, because I still think that's one of the, the struggles of my community is the moment we don't hear things we don't like, we like to fight and bark back, and we don't listen anymore. I think we both, we, we, we all can benefit from listening a little more. Absolutely, man. We got two ears, one mouth. Use them accordingly. Yes, sir. But, again, this was Marlon Williams uh, with Chicken's Kitchen Catering. After his shameless plug, I'll plug it again. <laughs> go, go check it out. The food looks fucking phenomenal all the time. Um, but, as always... Honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at hotardhuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.